series in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be reading several verses from Luke chapter 5. And if you're using the Pew Bible, that's going to be page 861. 861. We're going to read two stories that bracket a larger familiar story about Jesus healing the paralytic and then we'll see how these three stories fit together and so uh, since it's kind of a long reading I'll just let you sit and read along with me Luke chapter 5 beginning verse 12 while Jesus was in one of the cities there came a man full of leprosy And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but to go show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more, uh, even more the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed from their infirmities. But Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. One of those days he was teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down on his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. After this, he went out. He saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed Jesus. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repent. Let's take a moment to reflect together on God's word.
I'm assuming that many of you are familiar with the classic Dr. Seuss book, Oh, the Places You'll Go. You know this book? Uh, Dr. Seuss is a pretty well-known children's uh, book writer, but I think he wanted to write one to adolescents, and so he wrote, Oh, the Places You'll Go, and it's really his advice to a young adult who's going to take their first independent steps out into the world, and Dr. Seuss is trying to give them advice about the kind of world they're about ready to step into. Frequently, it's the kind of book that you would find being given at like a high school graduation, and you might say something about the, the journey that this 18-year-old is launching themselves out to. The opening line of the book, congratulations, today is your day, you're off to great places, you're off and away. It's a great little book, great little advice in the wisdom from Dr. Seuss. Interestingly, most Bible scholars believe that the average age of the disciples when they started following Jesus was about 18. Maybe as young as 15, probably nobody more than about 22 or 23. So just try to absorb that for a moment. Because, I mean, in my mind, Peter, James, John, Matthew, they're all like 50. Um, maybe because I'm in my 50s. So I just, you know, they're always my age. I don't know what it is, but I just don't think of them as like a, a high school varsity basketball team which is really about what you think of. There's usually about 12 players on a high school varsity basketball team, and you see them standing there for sort of their picture, and they all just seem so young. And this is what the 12 disciples would have looked like when they started following after Jesus. And Luke mentions the first three teenagers to join the Jesus team in Luke 5. Peter and then two brothers, they're all fishermen, they're all in a fishing business together. And they began this little group of 12 that start following Jesus. Verse 9 of chapter 5. For Jesus and all who were with him, for Peter and all who were with him were astonished at this great catch. We talked about this last week that they had taken in. And so also James and John. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, don't be afraid. From now on you'll be catching men, you'll be fishers of men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they, Peter, James, and John, they left everything to join the Jesus team, these three 18-year-olds. Maybe one of them was 16. The Dr. Seuss version of verse 11, it goes like this. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed Jesus, and oh, the places they would go. That's what I think he would put on it. Oh, the journey that they're about ready to launch into. I mean, these young men, they just have no idea. They've, they've put down their life. They've accepted an invitation to a new life. They're, they're going to step out into this grand new world with Jesus. They, they couldn't possibly imagine the things that were ahead of them. And according to Luke, the first couple of things Jesus wants to teach these young recruits is the two kinds of people Jesus intends to come and to touch, to be near, to rescue. So there's lots of things they're going to learn, but Luke decides to line it up to say, hey, these three fresh recruits, the first thing I want them to know as they're going to be fishers of men is the kind of men I'm looking for. 
This is the kind of catch that I'm out to get. And so Jesus introduces them to two different kinds of people that he specifically has his eyes on. One, people who are rotting on the outside. Jesus has some special attention for people who are broken on the outside. And secondly, people who are rotting on the inside. These are the two kinds of people that he wants to leave Peter, James, and John to fish for after he's gone. People that are rotting on the outside, people who are rotting on the inside. And we see that with the leper and Levi, these two bracketed stories that we just read about. First of all, let's just look at the leper in verse 12 and 13. While Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when this leper saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged Jesus, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Leprosy has been described as a walking death or a painless hell. Leprosy is painless because it's an anesthetic disease. You probably know this. It numbs your pain cells, your nerve cells, and mostly the extremities. So your eyes, your ears, your nose, your fingers, your feet. That's where it begins. And Dr. Paul Brand, who was one of the world experts in treating leprosy, he'd often go find this disease in third world countries and when a leper came to him and he, got, he gave them treatment, he would always send them home with a cat. And the reason he did is because these people who lived in the villages would go down, they would lie down and sleep and a rat would come and eat their flesh. And they wouldn't know it. So he said, would you have a cat in the room while you sleep? And the leper wouldn't know it until he wakes up and he's missing a finger. Or part of his ear is gone. Imagine living in this kind of pain, painless hell. It was hell also, especially in the New Testament times, because lepers had to live in an outside colony. They couldn't be part of the city. They're always outside. This is why Jesus is, is he's coming out of one of the cities, and this leper is approaching him. And whenever uh, someone was coming into a, a, pl- a person that was a leper, or a leper was somehow coming towards people who are clean, at 150 feet away, they had to start shouting, unclean, unclean. Imagine that. Anytime you see anyone who doesn't have leprosy, unclean. And as the leper comes in, like water peeling off the bow of a boat, their friends, maybe their family members, They all peel away. Nobody wants to be near a leper. Nobody wants to touch a leper. It's hell. It's hell to live this way emotionally, untouched by people. Notice in Luke's gospel, the very first person Jesus introduces these these three teenagers to is a leper. Not just any leper. Notice what it says, a man full of leprosy. This is somebody in the late stages of leprosy. And he doesn't, Luke doesn't describe him, but Luke is a physician. You probably know this. So you can imagine how he might see this person 
part of the nose eaten off, maybe an ear was gone, some fingers missing, maybe the man limped up because he's kind of got a stump as a foot. We don't really know, but he comes up best as he can, and he's made his way to a face-to-face encounter, what's left of his face, to look at Jesus. Now, Luke doesn't tell us what's happening in the background, but you've got to ask yourself, what are these three new recruits doing? They're, they're not very involved, apparently, because they're not even in the story. I mean, you don't know if, if as the leper's coming up, he, maybe he's not yelling, and these three teenagers are like, they're peeling away. These, these men who had handled lots of rotting fish, could they handle rotting flesh? Wherever they are, we know Jesus steps forward, listens to this man, say, Lord, I know you can see my rottenness. Will you heal me? What must have made the disciples' jaw drop is Jesus reached out first before anything else and touched the man. I mean, Jesus could have backed up himself and said, Be clean! Be clean, right? I mean, from 150 feet, that's no problem for Jesus. He could have just said it with a word even if he was near, but yet Jesus, he reaches out and he touches this man. Jesus wants to personally get involved with this man's life. He wants to restore the man not only on the outside but on the inside. He's trying to bring physical healing and also emotional healing to this leper. Most of us are aware of the importance of touch to healthy human development. You've probably heard of this disorder. It's called child attachment disorder. It's when an infant is born and they don't receive enough touch from other humans. If you've ever heard Sarah Smith, our uh, missionary to Romania, talk, that's one of the constant themes. She goes into these orphanages and there's just piles of kids and not enough adults to just touch the kids and they bring on something's called child detachment disorder. And so as they grow up, they have these, all these adult disorders. But even before that, sometimes the, the case can be so bad, the child stops growing. Sometimes they even die because they haven't had enough touch. Touch communicates so many different things, does it not? I'm here. We're together. We're, we're on the same team. I'm not going to leave you. I, I love you. I'm with you. I'm for you. I mean, imagine what's going through the leper's mind as Jesus reaches out and touches before he heals. Like, hey, I want you to know we're connected. We're part of the same team. I'm not going to leave. Most of you know my friend black pastor here in town, Rob Campbell. I don't tell him I said this story. But we hadn't seen each other in a while because of COVID, and our, our pastor group got together, three white guys, three black guys. And it had been a while. We got together maybe three or four weeks ago, and we were out at Panera Bread's, and we all sat down, and Rob came in behind me. And when he sat down, he chose to sit next to me. 
And he, I don't think he would even remember doing this. But as he sat down, he had his hand on my shoulder. And for about 15 seconds, he just did this. Now, maybe he was wiping crumbs off my arm. I mean, I'm not sure. I don't think so. But I think that this was this big black man who's a Marine saying, Paul, I miss you. We're together. I'm for you. We're doing something as a team. That, that's how I felt that happening. Touch is telling people, I, I care. It's critical. And Jesus is trying to transmit to these disciples, if you want to fish for men, you're going to have to touch untouchable people. You can't operate from a distance. It can't be everybody, but it can be somebody that you put your hand on and you just touch and say, I'm here, I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. All the people on the angel tree, they live a mile from here. This isn't a shoebox that you're sending halfway across the world. It's somebody you could touch. It's not everybody who needs help. It's one person. I'm here. I'm not going to leave. As disturbing and disorienting as this encounter was with the leper, I believe it's matched by Jesus' encounter with Levi. This second bracket. Levi, who also is known as Matthew, he was rotting on the inside. He was every bit as rotten on the inside as the leper was on the outside. After this, verse 27, Jesus went out, saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And Levi, leaving everything, rose and followed Jesus. Question. Who or what group of people do you think are ruining the country? Somebody immediately come to mind? Some group? The person that even now I'm risking them bringing them to your mind. Because you bring them to mind and sort of, you, you start sweating a little bit. You just get a little angry because you just feel like that person or that group, that person represents a larger group. They're the one who's selling out America. Is it the Marxist or the capitalist? Is it the religious nut or the secular elite? Is it the Republicans or the Democrats? Is it immigrants or nationalists? Is it old white guys or millennials? You got your group in your head, right? Now, now that you have that person in your head, now that your blood pressure is ticking up, that person is Levi. This person, Levi, is hated by the Israelites. He is selling them out. And any respecting Israelite 
would no more touch a leper than touch Levi. We just don't have anything to do with that person and that group of people. They're selling us out. And you might be familiar with the tax collectors. The tax collectors in this case were Israelites. They were men. They were sort of part of the people of God. But when the Roman enemy came in, they sold out. They went and took on the the Roman cloak. And they decided, hey, Rome needs to to collect taxes, so we'll go to our own people and we'll rake in money for the Roman Empire, who will then take the money and oppress the Israelites. You can see how they're hated. This guy's taking my money, giving it to the enemy, and the enemy is circling back around and oppressing me. And on top of that, they take in a little extra. Hey, I don't need just 100. I need 125. 100 for the Romans, 25 for me. Tax collectors lived comfortable lives. They didn't have many friends. Mostly tax collectors. And so when you saw these people, they're the kind of people that you just thought of. People that make your blood boil. People that are selling out. People that you say, this is what's wrong with us. This is why we're going downhill. This is the kind of person Levi was. You know, they're viewed as the lowest kind of people because all through the Bible and even here, you see it in verse 30, they're always connected with who? The tax collectors and the the sinners. See, all the people are going to hell, the sinners, and the tax collectors are going with them. That's the idea. Just all the really rotten people, sinners, well, and the tax collectors. See, they get sort of their own special, you know, notification. They're sort of a unique kind of evil or rottenness. So one day, verse 27, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting in his tax booth. And I found this very interesting this week in my study. There's a biblical scholar named Alfred Edersheim wrote a big, thick book on the life and times of Jesus. So it's all the cultural background of stuff that when you read your Bible, you wouldn't necessarily pick up on right away. And what Edersheim thinks that's likely is that Levi followed Jesus around because Jesus was drawing crowds. And who doesn't like a crowd if you're a tax collector? So just, let's just try to imagine this for a moment. Today, the greeters at Christ Community Church are IRS agents. How about that? Oh, it's good to see you today. Now, can you give me your name and your social security number? And while you're in the worship service, I'll be over here on my computer checking your taxes. That make you feel good about coming to Christ Community? And could you meet me at the information table? We'll give you that stuff that Joseph talked about, and then I'll give you a little bill that I noticed you missed on your taxes. This is the idea. So Matthew, somehow, he comes around with his little portable booth, and, oh, Jesus is going to speak. I know tons of people are going to be there. I need some cash. Set my booth up outside. And Jesus, one day, finishes the meeting, comes outside, and he goes up to Levi. And what are the three new recruits thinking? What do you think they're thinking? Finally, Jesus is going to come down on this guy. 
Maybe he's going to give the leprosy he took away from that guy to this guy. I mean, I don't know. This is not how my mind thinks, but I'm just saying people might think this way. That like, okay, he's going to say, get lost. You're, I don't want you here. This is what he's going to say. And Jesus comes up and says, hey, Levi, follow me. What? That's the same thing he said to us. He wants us to be a part of his team. I mean, this is no way. There's no way Jesus would say this to this kind of guy. He knows who he is. He knows he's rotten on the inside. Caravaggio, this Italian artist that I used last week in a picture of the crucifixion of Peter, painted uh, another painting, very interesting. I'll send it to you in the notes this week. The Calling of St. Matthew. It's a beautiful picture. And at the ends of the picture, Jesus, and he's kind of reaching out his hand like he's calling. And at the other end is Matthew. He's sitting at a table full of money, his hands in the money, head down. And in the middle of the picture is a man, you don't know who he is, just somebody, you know, that's at the table. The light is shining on his face, looking at Jesus, pointing at Matthew like. So the very center of the picture is this. Like, this guy? Like, you're calling this guy? There's, there's no way you, Jesus, could be calling somebody who's so rotten on the inside. Correctly, Caravaggio captures the absurdity. Is it possible that really rotten people on the inside could follow Jesus, could get an invitation? Is that possible? Let's answer that. Yeah. But it's not, it's not just yes. I would say it's, yes, only people who know they're really rotten on the inside can follow Jesus. I mean, sure, the invitation goes to everybody, but only the people who know they're rotting. Only the people, and that's exactly what Jesus says in the next few verses, does he not? The Pharisees can't believe it. I mean, Jesus extends an invitation. He gets an invitation back. Hey, come to see all my other rotten friends. How about a party? And they have this big party, and the Pharisees are standing outside saying, I can't believe he would be with this kind of person. And Jesus says, yeah, I'm not coming to, to call righteous people. If, you're not, if, you not, if you think you're not rotten on the inside, you're never going to hear Jesus' voice. But if you know you're rotting like a leper, on the inside in your soul, you have a chance. You have an invitation. Come. Follow me. This bracket, these two stories, is highlighted again in this more familiar story of the paralytic 
Now I only have time to make this one point about this very interesting story. Notice in verse 17 and 18. In one of those days, Jesus was teaching. And again, we have the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And we also have a paralytic. So in the same story, we have a a person who's rotting on the outside and somebody who's rotting on the inside. Notice at the end of verse 17, this is a key phrase. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. And behold, some men were bringing him on a bed, a man who was paralyzed. So question, who requires healing here? See, I think if you read the story, you'd probably just say, the paralytic. And you'd be half right. The Pharisee needs healing. They're both paralyzed. One person is paralyzed from the outside and on the inside. One, par- one person is just paralyzed on the, on the inside. The power of the Lord is here to heal. And you know, you know the story. They, they lower the man through the tiles because they can't get him in. And he comes and he comes down and they look at, Jesus looks at this man's faith, looks at his friends and says, your sins are forgiven. And his friends are like, it's not his sins. We're thinking about his legs first. That's, you know, that's the story. But Jesus knows he's got an inside problem and an outside problem. And he says, take up your mat and follow him. And I, you just wonder at this moment, could go back and put yourself in the house. Why isn't there a mad rush toward Jesus when he says, I can forgive your sins? Oh, wouldn't you want to be in that house to say, get me up front, Jesus. You know, I'm next. I need my inside cleaned out. I need my inside forgiven. But, but only one man walks out whole, the paralytic. He's whole inside and out. And the Pharisees just don't see it. And really, they're just left to rot. They don't think they're rotting. And hopefully one day they'll come back around to Jesus. The person who's desperate to get to Jesus was made well. Those who thought they had made well of themselves are left to rot. Let me just give a couple of points of application in our conclusion. First of all, Jesus sets his eyes on those who know they're broken. Jesus longs to touch the lepers, inside lepers, outside lepers, to touch them and say, I'm here, we're together, we're on the same team, I'm not leaving So if anyone here feels like they're the one who's rotten on the inside, but you just can't tell somebody, Jesus sees it. And you're not too far gone. Maybe you came today to feel Jesus' spirit by touch by his spirit to say, I'm here. I see. I love you. I don't plan on leaving you. It's a warning, 
especially in our culture, culture that feeds on dividing people. You see how well our culture does that, do you not? Every way we can get divided, and then whatever side you're on, the other side, you hate that other side. And so it's a warning, especially for us, to be careful to not become self-righteous, to not choose a side and then hate the other side. Self-righteous people are just as rotten as lepers. Finally, those who, like most of you say, you're following Jesus, and I trust that you are. Oh, the places you'll be asked to go. At least two places we know for sure. One, to people who are rotting on the outside. You and I, as followers, are commanded to touch those people. Not to just send money, not just to pray, but to have somebody, it can't be everybody, but it can be somebody that you say, I'm touching you, I'm with you, I'm for you, I'm not going to leave you. And so, so many of you don't have done this so well here at Christ Community. But secondly, we're asked to go to broken people on the inside the kind of person that you brought up in your mind that you love to hate, that's the person that you might be called to go to see. And notice, and this is key, this is key, the way in which you go matters. How did Jesus go? He went in a way that he got an invitation to come back to their house and have dinner with them. So if you think, okay, I'm going to go. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go straighten this person out. That's probably not going to get you a dinner invitation, is my guess. Do you see the whole, the whole tone of Jesus? He's touching Levi in the same way he's touching the leper. I know we're on completely opposite sides, but I love you. I'm, I'm for you. I'm not going to run away from you, even though I could be drawn into this battle Luke chapter 7, the Pharisees are watching Jesus again and say, hey, he's a friend of sinners and tax collectors. Sort of a down-your-nose look. Here's my hope at Christ's community. The people out in the community would say, they're friends of sinners and tax collectors. They know Jesus. They've been with Jesus and they reach out and touch people that are not like them. Not in judgment, but in compassion. Let's pray. Lord, so, so many things that could have been said about these little stories that you've put together for us through Luke. But, but many of us here are followers of you, and we want to know how we're supposed to do that. And you show us today. You demonstrate that by touching the leper, touching Levi. So would you help? Help us to be your representation to Wilmington in that way. For any heart, any soul here 
that needs to be set free, I pray that they would know they're not too far gone, that you yourself are reaching to them to heal them. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song.